Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for August 14th, 2017. On today's show, we're going to do a bunch of news. We're going to go through Terminator 6, Justice League reshoots, Disney streaming service, uh, Hellboy reboot, Studio Ghibli, Glow, uh, why studios aren't making comedies anymore, according to Jed Apatow, and a couple of Star Wars The Last Jedi tidbits and in the mailbag we'll be talking about what actor or actress you enjoy so much that you will see almost any film they're in right now with me i have ben pearson hey how's it going and Huay tran buoy hey everyone uh, I think our our list of news today is quite ambitious so l- let's just dive right into it uh James Cameron is doing some press, and recently he was asked about Terminator 6, which he is producing, and uh, Tim... Oh my God. Tim Miller? Yes, Tim Miller is directing. <laughs> I was blanking there. Uh, he, uh, he, he talked quite possibly about Arnold Schwarzenegger playing a human role in this upcoming film. Ben, you wrote the article for SlashFilm.com. What do we know? 
Yes, it's very possible. So Cameron was asked if he ever considered having Arnold play a human in any of the Terminator movies that Cameron directed. And he responded, yeah, you got to ask yourself, why do they make these characters look and sound like Arnold? There has to be a reason. So, yeah, it has flashed through my mind that there has to have been a prototype. There has to have been a guy whose DNA was harvested from uh, and he talks about this and then he says, um, yeah, I've asked myself these questions, but it's never re- been resolved. So stay tuned, basically. So that's like the essence of, of his comments. Um, I, I don't know that this Terminator movie is ever going to actually happen. I'm still pretty dubious about that. But <laughs> if it does, it seems like a good way to incorporate Arnold back into the action. I thought his humor was one of the better parts of an otherwise pretty lackluster Terminator Genesis. So uh, getting Arnold into this movie seems like a priority for Cameron. Um, And, you know, in the article that I wrote up uh, for Slash Film, I embedded this deleted scene from Terminator 3 where they tried to do this same thing. They showed Arnold playing a human character named Sergeant Candy that served as the basis of uh, the entire, you know, Skynet's whole program and stuff like that. And it is uh, it is terrible. <laughs> like Arnold is doing this awful southern accent. I mean, it's clearly dubbed because there's no way he could make those noises with his Austrian <laughs> mouth. But um, yeah, it, that that is uh, a really bad example of this. And I have to imagine that if Cameron does something, it's at least going to be better than that. Well, the predicament they have put themselves in is that Arnold is a much older man now, and James Cameron wants to put him in the movie, so they need to explain why he looks so old. Yeah, Term- I think Term- he says that that they there has to be a guy whose DNA was harvested from. So I think yeah. the the idea would be like, oh, we can just pull this guy's DNA and then make yeah, like yeah. a younger version of him. Yeah, so. Ter- Terminator Genesis tried to explain the aging in a way, and it was. A little successful? I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to use the word success in that movie in the same sentence. Uh, (laughs) Let's move on. Justice League reshoots. There's a lot going on with Justice League reshoots. I think we actually wrote two articles on Friday about the Justice League reshoots. Uh, HT, you wrote both of them. What do we know? Yes. So the first article that I wrote was about how the reshoots were changing the tone for Cyborg become lighter um, in line with the with Warner Bros. new mantra to pivot the DCEU to become more fun and less grim and gritty. Uh, so we didn't actually know much about Cyborg before. The We saw a brief um, cameo of him in Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice in which video footage of him being experimented on by his father Silas Stone was shown. Um, so even if he is being lighter than what he originally was, we probably won't know much about it. But um, Joe Morton, who plays Silas Stone, told um, IGN that Cyborg's character is being adjusted because the char- the film felt too dark to the studio. Um, so we don't know much beyond that. Uh, and then the second Justice League story, which came out a little later, was Ben Affleck talking about how talking about the Justice League reshoots and how they were an interesting product of two very different directors with a but with very different uh, unique visions. So interesting in this case is a pretty loaded word. It could mean <laughs> something completely great or completely completely terrible. We have no idea. Um, he was very diplomatic in his response about it. So he was saying they both have unique visions. They have really strong takes. I love working with Zach. I love working with Joss. But we don't really know what that actually means for the movie itself. But he did say um, he kind of tamped down on all the reshoots rumors. He said that all the movies he's worked on previously have gone through reshoots. So it 
it's not a big deal is essentially the what he said to EW. Yeah, Affleck's uh, doing the status quo here that he has to do, but it's it's interesting that he uses the word interesting because I think Affleck is a smart guy and has a bigger vocabulary than uh, than that. <laughs> and I, 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 I think I think it's uh, he could have used many different words other than interesting. I think he knows using the word interesting is going to get some press. Uh, yeah, I, I have some information about the Justice League reshoots that I have not written up on the site, but I, I'm going to relay here. Uh, maybe some people will hear it. Uh, from what I've heard is happening, Josh Whedon has come in the br- br- has been brought in to make it lighter, as you know has been reported. But he's also redoing the ending of the movie. Originally, this movie, you know, it's all about the mother boxes. You know, the bad guys are trying to get the mother boxes. Uh, Steppenwolf uh, is trying to get the mother boxes, and he's trying to get the Earth ready for the coming of uh, Darkseid. And um, the original ending of the movie, from what I understand, was... I mean, he, he's, he was kind of playing the Silver Surfer role, like, and Darkseid playing kind of the Galactus role. And the, the ending of the movie was a cliffhanger, and Justice League 2 was going to be Justice League versus Darkseid. You know, Darkseid arrives at Earth. It was mm-hmm. this kind of like this down... Uh, dirty ending, and from what I understand, that has been completely removed. The the ending is you know ends the movie like a movie. It doesn't leave a huge cliffhanger now. They you know did a reshoot with uh Robin Wright uh from Wonder Woman, and uh that, that that's gonna be to set up a uh, flashback uh, explaining who Steppenwolf is, and Steppenwolf is now. The big bad of this movie, whereas Darkseid was this looming threat that won't now come, I don't think. Uh, so it does seem like they are doing extensive work on this film. It's not just, you know, business as normal. Uh, yeah. But um, I also don't think it's like, oh, we need to, you know, fix this movie. It's a, it, it's a horrible mess. It's no, we want to go in a different direction, if that makes sense. It's a pivot. <laughs> yes, it is a pivot. <laughs> Um, also in the news earlier this uh, earlier last week was that Disney it was going to pull its movies from Netflix and start its own streaming service. Uh, we now know a little bit more about this. Um, at the time, the news broke while we were on the air, and Brad theorized that maybe Marvel, I mean, maybe uh, Star Wars could have their live action TV show debut on this new service, and that could be a way to get people into the service. We now know that Netflix is negotiating with Disney to keep the rights to the Marvel movies and Star Wars movies, and that Bob Iger has said that as of right now, Marvel and Star Wars are not part of this service. The service is Disney and Pixar. So uh, we know a little bit more. Um, the service is sounding less interesting to me. As much as I'm a Disney fan, uh, I, I think I would be more excited if it was everything Disney and not just you know the kid properties. Uh, what do you guys think? Would would you still pay for just a streaming service that is Disney Pixar and the animated stuff? 
I would not, I don't think. I, I think you're right, Peter. I would say it's sort of an all or nothing scenario. And if they're going to leave a lifeline for people to uh, be able to, you know, anything where where a company doesn't force me to do it, I'm not going to pay extra money to see something that I don't, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I think if there's an option to not pay, I will do that. I mean, I already have all of the Disney movies and Pixar movies on VHS and DVD, have not thrown those away yet. So I don't think I will pay for a streaming service just because I can easily buy the DVDs of the movies I want. And you're right, if they're not all there uh, available in one place, then it just seems easier to buy them separately. You know what? Like they always for years had this whole marketing campaign that, you know, the movie's going back in the Disney vault or we're letting the movie out of the Disney vault for a long time. I think they should call this streaming service the Disney Vault. And finally, you know, people are getting access <laughs> to the entire Disney Vault. You know, every single, you know, movie and television show. And it's all for one. You know, I feel like that's the marketing angle that it should uh, take on. But let's move on. We have too much news. <laughs> um, Hellboy Reboot, uh, which did have a different name. We learned last week that it's just going to be called Hellboy, or at least right now it's just going to be called Hellboy. Uh, ben, uh, you wrote an article on how the comic creator, Mike Magnolia, uh, is calling it, uh, is saying it's going to be close to a horror movie. What, yes. what do we know? So he said that he, in, in an interview with Newsarama, he talked about how, how he was really involved with Guillermo del Toro's movies, um, way more than he is on the new film. But the new movie, he thinks, is going to be more representative of his work that he did in the comics. And he said that uh, I'm not doing any concept art for this one. I am consulting. But I think from day one in discussions about the look and feel of this movie, the director, who's Neil Marshall, uh, seems to be very much closer to the tone of what I wanted this to be. Um, and yeah, he he basically said that uh, he sees this movie as like a, quote, much darker, close to a horror film kind of thing that echoes what screenwriter uh, Andrew Cosby described his take on the script to be from a couple months ago. He basically said it was sort of like towing the the line between a superhero movie and a, a straight up horror movie. So, um, yeah, it sounds like this is going to be a little bit different than the more sort of, I guess, fantasy driven um, version that uh, Del Toro did a few years ago. Well, I think if you're going to reboot a movie, you should do it differently. I like, you know, how they handle Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, you know, if they're going to do a Hellboy reboot, you know, don't do the same thing. So this is yeah. this is good news. Uh, a lot of filmmakers talk about retiring. Quentin Tarantino is going to retire coming up. Steven Soderbergh retires, doesn't retire. Who knows what? Uh, Miyazaki, HD, you're a big fan of Studio Ghibli. Uh, mm -hmm. He retired. But now he's refusing to retire again. <laughs> what do what do we well, know? We kind of knew that he his unretirement was uh, in impending because he was working. He retired technically in 2013 after he released The Wind Rises, which was his uh, World War II epic. Uh, but then it, 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 is unretirement a word? I like this. Um. <laughs> Well, I guess we are coining it here, and Hayao Miyazaki is going to be the first one who will be unretiring. <laughs> it reminds me of uh, Unbirthday from uh, Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> Alice okay. in Wonderland, which very steered away is very Alice in Wonderland like. Yes. Um, so he announced his retirement in 2013, but then news came of soon afterwards that he was working on a secret short film called Borrow the Caterpillar. 
Uh, and this was going to be his first work with CGI, which he had denounced uh, vehemently beforehand, calling it uh, an insult to life itself. Uh, those are his <laughs> words. <laughs> Um, he is a big proponent for hand-drawn animation, and some of his hand-drawn animation is just the most beautiful work we've ever seen. Uh, but he is has been working on that short film, and then recently, it was last year um, in the winter, he decided that he was unsatisfied with it being a short film and wanted to expand it into being a feature film. So his unretirement was kind of reported on then, but then to. Friday, we heard that Studio Ghibli was officially reopening their uh, production department. They had kind of shuttered it earlier back when Miyazaki announced his re retirement to focus on distribution and legacy animation and those kind of things. They weren't making any more feature films. But now they're reportedly reopening their feature film department to work on Miyazaki's new film, um, which will probably probably be Borrow the Caterpillar. We're not sure. like They haven't officially announced it that, but... That seems to be the case because um, he wants to finish for the Caterpillar by the time the Tokyo Olympics roll around, which are in 2020. Um, although that's already been pushed back. It might be 2021 when he actually releases it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's it's really exciting. I'm just happy that Miyazaki's coming back. He probably will never like stop working because he's kind of it's his heart and soul. He tried to retire a couple times before. I remember back in. Um, 1997, after he finished Princess Mononoke, he was saying this is going to be his last big film. He was going to retire, but then he came back with Spirited Away in 2001. And uh, so he he tries over and over again, but I don't think retirement is in his vocabulary, honestly. Yeah, I think this is something we see not only with filmmakers, but all entertainers. You know, last week we were talking about David Letterman coming back to do a Netflix show. You, I, I don't think these guys who have entertaining in their blood can mm -hmm. just, you know, sit at home and not produce stuff like this. Um, speaking of Netflix, uh, Netflix has renewed a show. They've canceled the show. Ben, you wrote this article for SlashFilm.com. What, what do we know? So they have given the go-ahead for Glow Season 2, which, Peter, I think you're probably pretty happy about, right? I'm so excited about it. I, I yes. really like that show. Do, neither of you have watched that show yet? I am six episodes into what I think is an eight episode first season, uh, yes. and I'm yeah I'm digging it so far. So I'm excited to uh, to hear that it's going to be coming back. HD, have you have you seen it? I haven't watched it yet, but it is on my list. Nice. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So Glow season two is coming back. That's literally all we know. We don't know when or anything. The the official Twitter account just said here we glow again. Season two is coming. So Netflix has definitely given that one the go ahead, and then. Um, Companies also canceled Gypsy, which is Naomi Watts' uh, new, I guess, like, like psychosexual thriller kind of thing that that aired or uh, I guess debuted only uh, I don't know a month or two ago. But it was just crickets for that one. I didn't hear anybody have anything good to say about that show, or really, I haven't even like the TV critics and stuff that I follow haven't really talked about it very much. So uh, I, you know, Netflix famously doesn't release their viewership numbers, so we're not sure if they're they canceled this because not enough people watched it or just because it received sort of apathetic to negative reviews. But um, in any case, Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix, has recently said that he wants to he wants the the streaming service to have a higher cancel rate overall, because that would uh, indicate that the company is taking big swings on a lot of projects and they're hoping for a few of those to connect in a major way, like 13 Reasons Why, um, and they would be okay with 
taking a big swing on something like Gypsy and having it just, you know, fall on its face. So, uh, I mean, mission accomplished, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's interesting, though, because I I think one of them said that they wanted to give two seasons to most of their original productions to to give it a go. And this one's canceled so soon after it debuted. It's just... um, I, I just don't think anybody was interested. Not critics, yeah, the, not audiences. The Get Down and Girl Boss are, I think, the only two other Netflix originals in recent time, anyway, that have uh, only aired for one season and then been canceled. So those were sort of high-profile cancellations. And this one is just... I, I doubt anybody will even really care very much about Gypsy because they probably weren't watching it in the first place. Yeah. And... uh Judd Apatow has been doing some interviews recently. Jack Drew wrote an article for SlashFilm.com called Why Studios Aren't Making any As Many Comedies Anymore, according to Judd Apatow. The comment he made was to Vulture, and he said, quote, After the last writer's strike, it felt like studios decided not to develop movies. They used to buy a lot of scripts, and then they would have big teams of people giving notes, and they worked for years with people in collaboration in those scripts. I feel like studios don't buy many scripts now. It used to be that you'd open up Variety and you'd see movie studio had bought some big high concept comedy. Now it seems like they're they'd rather things come in packaged, uh, a script, a cast, a director. As a result, a lot of great comedy writers are going to television instead of sitting at home and trying to to write a script for a film. Uh, right the way I was, he said. Um, so, I mean, that's a little disappointing, uh, and it makes sense, you know, the Hollywood landscape is changing, um, but maybe, you know, maybe that, I mean, I know we're at peak TV, but I, I always think we could get some better, uh, television comedies out there. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of, uh, what is on the landscape right now. A lot of times to me, it's, uh, too sitcom-y. Uh, whenever mm-hmm. it's a comedy, and I, I, I would love to see more things like girls and you, you know, that are more like I don't want to say cinematic, but they feel more like a movie. Um, yeah, auteur yeah. driven. Yeah, yeah. auteur driven, definitely. Uh, moving on. Um, Star Wars: Last Jedi. We had a ton of news last week coming from the EW uh, cover story. Um. Ben, you wrote up this article about why Ray's family history may not be as important as we thought. What did we learn about Ray's family? So writer-director Ryan Johnson basically said that uh, the question, the looming question of Ray's parentage uh, is only important to him insofar as it's important to Ray. And he says that it's basically important to her just in terms of what her place is in the galaxy and what how she's going to be defined as a character by this uh, revelation. And I think EW basically said that we are going to find out in The Last Jedi. It will definitively resolve the question of who her parents are. Um, so it's fun to theorize in the meantime. We're not really sure yet who that's going to be. It's going to be something that's definitely going to be saved for the you know an actual reveal in the movie. Um, and Daisy Ridley seems to be looking at this whole thing um, as like 
Ray's parentage is less important than Ray thinks it is because whatever she discovers about who her family is, her abilities are already in place. And she, uh, Ridley said, you can always look for answers. And that doesn't mean that the rest of your life is so easy. It's not like, oh, I know who my parents are now. So everything falls into shape, especially in the Star Wars world. I think that's a good point. Um, and she sort of seems to be looking at the whole thing as more of like a philosophical um, dilemma almost where like, uh, you know, it's all these characters are not exactly cut and dry. It's not, you know, somebody who's purely good or purely evil. There's always room for bad people to make good decisions and vice versa, she said. Uh, again, that could be nothing to do with your parents. and That could be everything to do with your parents. So I like the idea of bringing up more moral complexity in these characters, because that's something I think that Star Wars saga films in particular could definitely use a lot more of. I mean, in like Rogue One, we saw uh, Diego Luna's character, you know, shoot somebody to keep a secret. And we haven't really seen, you know, as much as Han Solo is sort of the the paragon of uh, a morally, you know, complex character. He's pretty much a good guy when you really think about it. So I, I would like to see, um, you know, good characters make terrible decisions and bad characters make, you know, occasionally good decisions just to sort of increase the uh, realism of a galaxy far, far away. What's the chances that whoever is Ray's parents is not someone we know of or related to someone we know of? I mean, just I don't have much to base this on, but I would have to say that they're pretty small, right? Because they wouldn't make such a big deal of it if they're just going to be like, and by the way, your parents are, you know, Snaffle Galgoon, this guy from Planet <laughs> R. Or whatever. You know, it's just like, it, it, who cares? Like, that's not going to be it has to be somebody that we know. Um, but I, I think it's it's. I think Johnson is right on the money when he's talking about, you know, it, it's going to be about what Ray does after that. You know, does does this completely, um, you know, shake her to her core or does she just sort of absorb it and keep moving forward and keep becoming the, the hero that we know she's going to be? Yeah. who Where she has come from does not indicate where she must go. And yeah. I, I think that's a good point. But I also think that. I think that they wouldn't have made a big deal. I mean, she call you know, she tells BB-8, big mystery, you know, uh, about her past and where she's from. Uh, I don't think they would have set it up like a big mystery if it, you know, would turn out like that. And I also think that uh, she she has to find out where she's yeah. from at some point because it seems like the Finn, you know, the heritage, Finn's heritage is not that important. But it it seems like there's something there because obviously she has force powers, so yes, it was definitely a driving force in Force Awakens. So it would be nice to be answered. And joining us now is the managing editor for SlashFilm.com, Jacob Hall. How's it going, Jacob? I'm pretty good. Star Wars Day again. <laughs> yeah. So while we were recording this, some more Star Wars: The Last Jedi news broke on EW. So what do we know about? Captain Phasma in this upcoming sequel? Well, we know a little bit about Captain Phasma and a little about Kylo Ren. And the funny thing about this article is that it was it kind of builds up being about the villains of Star Wars The Last Jedi. And then they kind of throw off Captain Phasma at the end saying that, yeah, she'll do more, but not that much. If you really want more Captain Phasma, you gotta go read this book and read this comic, because that's, you know, how it works these days. Uh, to quote uh, writer-director Ryan Johnson, Gwendolyn Christie, the actress who plays Captain Phasma, 
who you may know from Game of Thrones, is one of my favorite people, and you get to see her in action, which I think is going to be really fun. The character is just so damn cool looking. Okay, let's see what we can do with her. Let's put her in action to see what happens. Which sounds like Ryan Johnson speak for. She stands around and shoots things and looks cool again. She's Boba Fett for us. And that's it. See, that's so disappointing because she does look so cool. And I think a lot of people went into Force Awakens expecting her to be a bigger part of the film. And I know, I mean, I I got into an argument, on, or not an argument, I exchanged on Twitter uh, on Friday uh, with Donna Dickens, who was claiming, you know, Boba Fett was, you know, the small part of the original, you know, you know, she's just like as big of a character as Boba Fett was. And yes and no, I, I, I agree with that. But also, I feel like Force Awakens dismissed her at the end, kind of like throwing her in a trash compactor and kind of like punked her out. It was, it yeah. was, uh, so I, I would like to see more from Phasma. What, what do you guys think? Boba Fett's lame. <laughs> Sorry. He's lame and terrible and he only, he's only looks cool. That's it. I, I, I didn't want to Captain Phasma. I wanted her to be a real character. I wanted her to be more than a cool armor design. And it's just driving me crazy. Well, judging yeah. from the Vanity Fair photos, we might actually see her with her helmet off, which would be good. Gwendolyn Christie is so talented, too, so I am always down to see her do something other than just say one line and then get thrown in a trash compactor for jokes. Yeah. What did we learn about Kylo Ren? Uh, According to Ryan Johnson in the understatement of this young century, Kylo Ren uh, represents the treacherous road through adolescence. Um, They they note that the, the movie will directly note the fact that he went from killing his father, Han Solo, to getting his ass kicked by some scavenger woman, like in the space of thirty seconds. I mean, the movie will be about that that whiplash. And once again, the quote Ryan Johnson: "He's definitely been knocked off base. The defeat he had at the end of the Force he, Awakens. He's literally been knocked off base. Uh, yeah, exactly. Off <laughs> Star Killer base. Uh, huge defining act, uh, et cetera, et cetera. How he dealt with this in his head. What does it mean for him?" So there's no no actual Adam Driver quotes, which which is a little disappointing. But I feel like Adam Driver doesn't do a lot of press because he's not good at it. <laughs> if you ever see him in an interview, yeah. Um, but there's some other fun quotes where they say that uh, his actions will, Kylo Ren's actions will really uh, echo throughout the movie. That Chewbacca will be kind of down throughout the movie. He said he's, he's resilient and tough, but he's but he's obviously missing his friend. And it's a good thing he has a new project in Ray because if he didn't, who knows what would be happening to Chewbacca right now. And they say that Daisy Ridley's big uh, conflict will be trying to understand how somebody could kill their father when all she's wanted for her entire life has been a father or, or, or a mother or parents. So hopefully we'll see that dynamic play out a little bit more. And it's not just lip service being played to the press here. It's interesting. A lot of this Last Jedi press seems to be actors stating their motivations. But I'm not completely sure that any of this is stuff that comes up in the movie and isn't just like you know internal monologues that they're running when performing you know (laughs) backstory kind of stuff um yeah anyways guys let's move into the mailbag uh every day on the podcast we answer a question from you the readers to submit a question to the mailbag send them to peter at slash film.com Please mention your name and general geographic location in case we mention it on the air. We can't guarantee all the questions will be asked. But uh, on today's mailbag, Jolene from South Dakota asks, 
Is there any actor that you enjoy so much that you will see any film he or she is in, regardless of genre or your interest in the storyline? Thanks. Love the podcast and your new closet setup. Uh, thank you. Uh, you know, this question is very hard for me. Um, I don't think there's a lot of actors that fit this bill for my entire life. It's been more of a filmmaker thing, you know, growing up with Steven Spielberg, you know, then, you know, there was tons of directors that you have seen every single one of their things and not really many actors. If there has been an actor, maybe Tom Cruise, uh, although I haven't seen the mummy yet, so maybe that's a bad answer. Uh, And I I do know, like, during um, my late teens, early 20s, Jenna Malone was uh, an actress who I watched a lot. I watched her in almost everything she was in, and she was in a lot of bad indies. (laughs) Um, And I'm not sure why. I'm not sure if it was a crush or whatever. I I don't know. I have no idea, but Jenna Malone. So that's just my answer. Uh, uh, Ben, who, who is the actor of your choice? Yeah, I'm sort of with you in the filmmaker uh, category there. That's primarily who I follow instead of actors because I feel like a lot of the actors that I like are prone to making the occasional bad decision. So, you know, like like The Rock, I think, is a great example. You know, I love The Rock, but he's in the upcoming Jumanji movie, which I guarantee all of you I will never see because it looks like a piece of junk. So I'm, you know, and like, I'm not going to go back through the rocks, uh, you know, filmography and watch that one where the tooth fairy maybe, or was that a Vin Diesel movie? I don't know. One of those, you know what I mean? Like it's gotta be somebody who is really great. And for me, I think the only person that qualifies is Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, I, I was looking at his IMDb and I was like, this is the only person I can think of that I've seen everything that they've done in the 2000s minus uh, this one film that he did in 2001 called Don's Plum, which has been like, uh, you know, notoriously hard to find because he and Tobey Maguire and a couple of the other stars have like tried to get it removed and like scrubbed from the internet entirely. So uh, (laughs) I feel justified in not having seen that one, but there are actually still a couple of old uh, DiCaprio movies that I haven't seen, you know, Critters three. And um, I think this boy's life I haven't seen yet, but uh, I will probably eventually, get around to those just to be a completist when it comes to his work but i can't really think of anybody else off the top of my head that i would you know go to bat and say you know i saw jay edgar in theaters for god's sake if that doesn't show uh, dedication i don't know what does ht who who are your picks for the actors or actresses that you would that you always see So I don't have an actor in particular that I've seen every film in their filmography. I have phases. I am currently, I guess it's a very long Jeremy Renner phase. I do really like Jeremy Renner. I've seen most of his movies, um, even though he's kind of, can I curse here? Uh, Sure. (laughs) Even though he's kind of an asshole. He's he's my asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see Wind River. Um, I'm seeing it tonight, uh, just because Jeremy Renner's in it and as well as Elizabeth Olsen, but I don't know. I've had phases. I had a Jeff Goldblum phase. I had a strange Ryan Reynolds phase. Um, but there has been an actor that I followed all throughout their career. I did get, this is going to be very basic of me, but I got like an Audrey Hepburn box set. I've watched the majority of her movies. Um, but those were all have already all been done. So it's a little bit easier to go through her filmography. But yeah, again, it's just like series of phases of who 
phases of who I'm interested in. Often it's uh, filmmakers as well. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely whoever interests me, whoever's whoever I think is talented and I think chooses good films until then they fall off and choose a bad film, like you were saying. And yeah. then I move on to whatever next actor I think is promising. You know, what's interesting is a lot of people do this with actors. Like they'll, you know, see all the movies from one actor and some people will do, you know, in the uh, film geek Twitter bubble will follow certain filmmakers, but you don't see many people that will follow screenwriters, you know, and, and watch every, everything a certain screenwriter, uh, has been a part of and earlier in my career when I was a budding screenwriter I, I tried to do that with uh people like John August I followed from film to film um mm-hmm. but I, I just wanted to bring up that aspect because it's something that I think many people probably don't even think about even though you know they are essentially the author of you know the story um yeah. Jacob who are the who are the fellows that you will see everything This is a really, really good time answering this question because my three favorite actors who I will see in anything are all co-starring in a movie together later this year. And those actors are Richard uh, Richard Jenkins, Michael Shannon, and Michael Stuhlbarg, all starring in Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water. And these are all actors who aren't movie stars. They never headline things, but they've never told a lie on screen. I've... I've never been let down by the performance and the range on these three is incredible. Just jumping between comedy uh, heroes, villains, kindly father figures, people who are menacing, total screw ups. They've really done it all and they provide such solid support to everybody who they tend to co-star with, even when they don't have the spotlight. I'll start with Stuhlbarg, who I think the best scene in a movie I don't love is the scene in Men in Black 3 where his alien character who can experience all time at once watches a baseball game from decades earlier in an empty stadium. It is beautiful and amazing and charming and funny and so honest in a movie I don't love. I, I don't like Men in Black 3 that much, but that character and that performance in that scene feels like it belongs in such a strong movie. And that's before you even talk about his work in Boardwalk Empire where he plays a truly menacing gangster or a serious man where he plays like one of the great Coen Brothers heroes who's constantly being like crapped upon by God, it seems. And I, I, I love that movie. He's great. Yeah, it's great. And the other, the other Michael, Michael Shannon. I know he, he's people like to think of him as playing lots of creepy weirdos. And he's really good at playing creepy weirdos, but he's heartbreaking and takes shelter where he's playing a father who, who may be going insane. He's genuinely normal in Midnight Special, where it's, which is a science fiction movie that's grounded by how straight-laced and determined and fatherly he is. I even like him in, in Man of Steel, where I feel like his general Zod is just like taking himself seriously in, in a way that gives him real menace when the rest of the movie is so silly. And I want to give some love to Salt and Fire, Werner Herzog's um, movie from uh, last year that I don't love. I find it endlessly frustrating. Watching it was unbearable in theaters, and I cannot recommend it. But the last 15 minutes featured the, the funniest Michael Shan performance I've ever seen. And I, and I maybe, maybe endure it for, for the, for those scenes. And <laughs> as, finally, um, Richard Jenkins, the one time I've been starstruck it, seeing somebody, uh, I've in my job, I've had the, I've had the fortune to interview a lot of famous people. The one time where I could not move was when I saw Richard Jenkins, uh, in the aisle way in a theater at Southwest Southwest during a screening of cabin in the woods 
and I didn't get out of his way because all I could think was, holy crap, that's Richard Jenkins. <laughs> and that, that seemed really silly, but uh, you may know him as the father from Step Brothers who does his dinosaur impression, or the one good, decent person burned after reading, or one of the control room guys in the cabin in the woods, or just like um, one of the supporting characters in Jack Reacher. These are all movies where he's never the lead role, but every time he's on the screen, I just can't take my eyes off him. He, he's the he's the best of his kind he's the best at playing uh if you need a guy in his 60s no matter <laughs> how menacing kind or um anything in between you get rich and jenkins and he pulls it off these three i will go on my way to watch any movie these three are in i and the fact that all three of them are together in one movie i don't even need del toro i don't need a fish what, what, monster. what, what movie is that hard. jacob have you mentioned oh that? the shape the shape of water i mentioned shape it earlier okay, yeah. so uh, okay. i don't even need like the, the sci-fi hook there i just need these three that I'm talking a lot because these three excite me so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 you can always submit your questions to the mailbag, peter at slashfilm.com. I, I want to thank today's panel. Uh, you can find more of each, all of our work at slashfilm.com. You can find uh, HT on Twitter, htranbui. It has our Millennial Falcon podcast on iTunes. Uh, Jacob, you can find jacob s hall on twitter and ben you can find a ben pairs on twitter uh you can find me at slash and at slash film uh we will see you tomorrow <laughs>